episode of T Watches a Scary Movie. I'm T, and of course, we're talking scary movies. I appreciate you tuning in for another brand new episode. Remember, new episodes go up every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, the audio version on your favorite podcasting platforms. And if you're watching this lovely face here, video version goes up at 8.30 p.m. Mountain Standard Time on the YouTube channel at youtube.com slash C slash Theron Reynolds Scary Movie. Again, that's youtube.com slash C slash Theron Reynolds Scary Movie. Also want to remind you, make sure to use my discount code if you're going to Fangoria's shop and want to save 20% off your order, including subscriptions and merchandise. Just got to use the code AXDEW. You get 20% off your orders. So what are we talking about today? Well, first of all, we got part two of my conversation with Mr. Ben Schatzel, where we're going to be discussing we're all going to the World's Fair. Last week, we talked about the earlier part of the movie, and we're about to get into the rest of the movie here in tonight's episode. But be warned, it is a spoiler-heavy episode. If you have not seen this, then what the hell are you doing? Go to HBO Max right now and watch We're All Going to the World's Fair, or it's available for rental on all your favorite streaming platforms right now. But what else do we have to talk about? Because there's been some big developments in the last few days. First... You might remember, a few weeks back, we shared the news that Rennie Harlan, famed horror director of Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4 and other awesome 80s and 90s thrillers, including Cliffhanger and Die Hard 2, would be directing at least one of the upcoming Stranger 3 movies that were coming out. It has just been revealed that these three movies are a reboot. They are absolutely a reboot of the Stranger series, and folks are going crazy about it because... If you saw the most recent film, Strangers Pray at Night, it left the door open for a possible another entry where the killers return to wreak havoc again on another family or group of friends. Who knows? But also, if you watch both the first and the second movie, you know that there's nothing in there that says that these movies have to be set in any particular time frame. So it's not hard to say that you could have done three more of these Stranger movies before the first film is set between the second and third film, or hell, you could even set it after the second film at that point. Who knows? But it's very interesting that they're going the reboot route. And the question really does come up because they also released a synopsis that Madeline Petch from Riverdale will be starring as a uh, young woman who's traveling across the country with her boyfriend that stops at a local Airbnb, Airbnb, excuse me, and they are terrorized by the group of strangers. So, Honestly, it sounds like just the normal kind of story that we might expect from a Strangers movie. But what I really am hoping is that it airs more towards the second film, Pray at Night, than it does the first one. As you know, I'm not a big fan of the first movie. It just didn't click for me like it does for a lot of other people. But I absolutely love the second uh, second film. It's fun. It's fast-paced. It's thrilling. It's scary. It's a really, really great film. So we're hoping that these movies are going to air more towards the second one. But it's very interesting because I wonder if the characters are going to carry across all three films or whether or not this cast is only in the first one and the other two we're going to get completely independent stories. Who knows? But we're excited about it one way or the other. That's awesome that we're going to get three new films that are filming this month right now. In other movie news, though, and this is a big one, As you know, the prequel to what I think is the best horror film of the year, X, has its prequel, Pearl, releasing this Friday in theaters. Uh, Ty West secretly filmed this movie while they were filming X so they could reuse sets and keep the same aesthetic with it. But 
Even crazier than that, it was just revealed at the premiere this week that there is a third movie that they're going to be working on as well called Maxine. And if you saw X, our main character Max, uh, or Maxine, played by Mia Goth, ended the film, uh, spoilers coming here, ended the film as being the only survivor of the massacre at the farm and left to go God knows where. And the teaser for Maxine shows that it's likely going to be set in Hollywood. It's going to be set in the 80s. And as Ty West has said, it's going to explore the VHS craze of the 80s as well, too. So I would imagine that Maxine is still going to get into porn, as that was the intention of the film X. And maybe she comes across some unscrupulous directors and producers and takes a little bit of what she learned back at the farm into the heart of Hollywood. Who knows, but it's absolutely exciting to see that this film is getting a franchise, y'all. I love that studios are being brave now and seeing that horror is really the big hit. Um, it's done so well in the pandemic that they just got to hand orders like these out like that. So, Maxine, uh, we don't have a date for it yet. Maybe it'll be late next year because they did not film this one while they did Pearl and X. So this is a new film they have to actually get done. So we don't know. They could be filming right now, meaning the film could come out next year. It could be 2024. We just have no idea. But either way, it's exciting that we're getting a full franchise in the time span of what's going to end up being two or three years. And who knows if that's the end. I'd love to see more films because it was implied in X that the group of uh, filmmakers that came and all were slaughtered, that wasn't the first time that Howard and Pearl had done this. So you never know. We could get more entries in this series folks who knows but check out x it's available to rent and to purchase on all your popular streaming platforms and don't forget to uh, forget to go check out pearl which hits theaters this friday but time to get into things here we're going to go ahead and get part two of my conversation with ben schatzel on we're all going to the world's fair yeah like i i, I love that because you're right you're you're absolutely right about what you're saying and to where the more the movie goes on the more she becomes more susceptible. And it's almost like she's actively looking for things to say, this is really happening. Like things are getting weird and I'm being weird. And like my photos are distorted and this is happening because I want it to happen because I'm seeing these things happen when sure, if you go looking for something, yeah, like it looks like that, but that doesn't mean that's really the case, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a show that I'm a huge fan of. It, it, this is going to sound like I'm using cheat codes because I'm, <laughs> I'll set this up and explain it a little bit. But uh, there's an anime called Serial Experiments Lane. I, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but uh, I I watch way too much J-horror, probably for my own good. And Throughout the course of this film, I was thinking, this is reminding me a lot of this this anime, Serial Experiments Line, to the point where even the design of Casey and the uh, like plushed animal that she carries around felt very reminiscent of the main character in that show. And that's sort of the theme of, of the show is it takes place in the 90s. It it's kind of predates The Matrix, and it's talking about you know, technology pulling people together and the idea of like this virtual world. And that felt like a lot of the themes that were being played with in, in this film. And so I was thinking, is this related somehow? I'm, the director for this film is kind of in my age group. It would not be a far-fetched idea to think that she could be drawing from this. And then of course, just a few days ago, uh, the 
the director was posed a question on Twitter saying, hey, if we loved we're all going to the World's Fair, what else should, should we watch uh, that would be kind of similar? And the director pointed that out and she said, go watch Serial Experiments Lane. This this is 100% a, a similar story. And this is part of what I drew from. Oh, and wow. It, it's really interesting. But the end goes a completely different direction. But it has similar elements of sort of like throwing you off the trail. You think that there's certain elements at play and then something comes in that just throws everything on its head. And that was one of the big things that gave me that impression was somebody getting pulled into the computer screen. And I'm like, I don't even know how to fit this into my my theory that I'm working with. Like, I don't know yep. how this fits. So I almost just have to ignore it because there's no way I can try to be processing this as I'm viewing it. And, and, and I love that you mentioned that post because now I'm recalling that I did see that and that uh, uh, and that the director absolutely mentioned one that caught uh, that definitely was ringing in my head too the film Pulse from the early 2000s with uh, I think it was Kristen Bell who was in who was in Pulse there um, and uh, about like you know like the the ghosts who were haunting like the cell phone signal and everything like that and I was like oh my god like there are some parallels to Pulse in here but. Uh, you know, going to where you're talking, because I because we got we got to get to that ending eventually there. What what it's kind of keeps moving the, the story along and like the biggest development in it is that once these creepy things kind of start happening to Casey and she starts noticing more uh, more strange things happening in her life, uh, she's contacted by another player named JLB, who uh, basically reaches out and tells her you're in danger. Something's wrong. And. I love, I, I just was reminded how much I love the narrative of this movie because no matter what these conversations between Casey and JLB cover and reveal, it's still a question of, is this the game or not? Because you can say, no, for real. Like, uh, I'm asking you, are you really okay? Is this like, are you really okay right now? It's like, well, you could say you're really asking that, but are you just being earnest more about the game at that point? Because this person, JLB, we find out very quickly that this is a, uh, you know, a, a, an older an older man that's contacting this young woman. And there's already some obvious, like, some obvious thoughts that we can have about that, especially when we're talking about the internet these days. And I, I, I'd also be remiss to, to mention his avatar or his profile pic on that, uh, on that Skype call, which absolutely creeped the fuck out of me. I was like, that's going to lead to something. Never does. Never does. But absolutely right. creeped the fuck out of me now. Um, and and it's, it, you're right. Like, it's just a symbol ultimately of the game itself of, is this guy actually a monster or is he, uh, you know, playing the, the part in the game? And it's, a relationship that I think would only exist online. Like the relationship that they build throughout the course of this film, that's not a relationship that you would expect to see in your day-to-day -day life. And if you did, somebody would put an end to it. But it's something that can slip under the radar online. And again, Casey is in a susceptible position, not really exclusively because of her age, but just because of her own personal circumstances and the trauma that she's experienced throughout her life and probably facing neglect at home or at school. And then there's this older authority figure who's coming into her life. And the, the thing that just keeps me coming back to pick at this movie is the level of complexity with all of these characters, because what I would love to do, just like I would love to look at the dad and say that's a neglectful, abusive father, 
but I just simply can't really do that in good faith. Likewise with JLB, like I would love to say this guy is just a terror and he's an, an online monster who's looking to prey on young girls. And likely that's true. But at the same time, there's other elements to his character where maybe he is her only lifeline. And maybe this is the only person really keeping her going on the day to day. And so you can't necessarily look at him as a throwaway character or, or just a, just a terrible character, even though at the end, it kind of reveals that maybe he didn't have the best of intentions. Yeah. And, uh, it, you know, it, it is interesting because of the fact that with JLB as well, too, the moment he or not, maybe not the moment he gets introduced, but we then start to see really a, a bit from his perspective as well. And then the film starts going kind of back and forth between Casey and JLB from what they're seeing. And mm -hmm. I really enjoyed that dichotomy of it, because like you mentioned earlier, everything we we were really seeing was from Casey's standpoint. So we got to take it either at face value or it's it's whatever at that point. But when JLB starts getting involved, then it becomes a question of, well, now this is kind of like really backing up everything that Casey is claiming and saying that's actually happening. So whether, whether there are nefarious intents, you know, behind his involvement or not there, it's like, no, there might actually be something going on because somebody else is finally seeing it. And do you feel that when JLB got introduced, uh, you know, we always talk about audience perspective, like who's our representation in that movie? Do you think that we're more so supposed to see the movie from his perspective over Casey's after he really comes in and plays that role? Yeah, that's a great question because it does feel like the camera work and the presentation pulls us in that direction where we almost want to sympathize a little bit with JLB, even though he's positioned as the antagonist almost, at least at his introduction. And it, the interest is definitely that his life does not at all mirror Casey's. Like he's well-established. He's got what appears to be a perfectly functional life going for him. He seems fairly emotionally settled, financially settled. So the curiosity from my end was why is this guy doing this? Why is this guy talking to 16 year olds on the internet playing horror role-playing games? But that question doesn't necessarily matter. I don't think because those people exist. Like, I don't think that the character requires justification within the narrative because that's real life. If you, if you were to go online and get into one of these sort of uh, underground communities within the web, you would find people just like that and maybe don't necessarily have all of his characteristic traits, but you're certainly going to find people that are in his position in life that are engaging in these activities. So the real world aspect of it justifies his existence within the story. The story itself doesn't necessarily need to justify that. And then what we're seeing is the rapport between those two characters, which is in my from where I was sitting, I thought that was highly unsettling because yeah. you know that this happens. You know that this happens on the internet. You know that these relationships are being built and they're completely out of the the like light of day. Nobody's really seeing it unless you're involved in the community. And this is happening, meanwhile, like all these like increasingly more terrifying things are are happening with Casey. You know, there's obviously the big uh the you know, the big one to where it's the shot of her sleeping and then apparently waking up with that like devilish smile and devilish grin, which kudos because 
man, uh, if you could pull out something like that and a cob, that is a fantastic evil grin, evil smile there. That definitely got me some for sure. Um, Likewise. Yeah. Oh, things keep on <laughs> happening. And, you know, we hear more about, um, we hear more about Casey and we talk, uh, we talk, talked a little bit about that to where like, she kind of mentions again, things like standing in the middle of traffic and, you know, she would say whether she was going to do that or not. And then she kind of alludes again to possibly taking her life, taking father's life as well too. And we're getting deeper and deeper. And it's like, you know, this game is having it seemingly having more and more of an influence on her to the point to where the kind of climax of it, it seems at least is that, Casey's lost complete control of herself or she's completely committed to the game. And, you know, that doll, that uh, that that stuffed animal that you were talking about that she's had since birth, it's helped soothe her to sleep. She just goes and completely destroys it, absolutely destroys it as if in a trance. And then apparently wakes up to have no recollection of what the hell just happen and it's not you know it's not the first time that happens in the movie because there's that other scene to where she's singing and dancing to that song and then just out of nowhere again Anna Cobb killing it with just that amazing amazing terrifying blood curdling scream right there and as these events keep on going where like where what was your kind of journey with that there like were you believing more and more into this as these events just get more and more intense throughout the film yeah, the stuffed animal climax is incredible. And I, I'm with you like the performances across the board are, are perfect. I, I don't think you could provide any feedback. I certainly couldn't. I think that the performances are incredible. And that moment where both of those moments that you spoke of, um, when she's singing the song, and, and then kind of like breaks out a character, as well as when she destroys the stuffed animal, I would be super curious to see like what was actually written in the script. I'd also love to know how many of those stuffed animals they had because it felt so genuine. And I'm think I thought maybe they just did this in one take, but it is so, there's so much commitment to that performance. And as she's destroying it, it's not just, okay, I'm going to rip it apart and then we're going to cut to another shot. Like it really holds on it in a lot of those moments. And that's something that I'm not always used to seeing in, in a lot of these types of films where you see something scary, but then we just stay there. And I felt like that was the case with a lot of the cinematography across the board is something what the action would happen in the scene. But then we see a handful of moments beyond the action. And that's what kind of settles it in reality because it's not trying to pull you all of these different directions with the camera work. It's showing you what's happening. And then you have an opinion on it but then as it sort of just oscillates in reality, my my mind was going all sorts of different places. And then all of a sudden we were on to the next thing. So having that extra time to marinate on, on these thoughts complicated it in my head and made it not so cut and dry. It didn't feel like the director was saying, this is what you should be taking away from this scene. It was very much like, this is what's happening in the story. Process it, digest it here's the next thing that's happening in the story. And it wasn't dragging me along for, for a story that I felt like I didn't have any involvement in. It almost felt like I was a character and I was watching this as a participant in the game or at least a spectator. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the the plushie certainly was the big point for me because as that kind of settles afterwards, 
I realized, wait, did I have more emotional connection to this plushie than she did? Because she seems pretty nihilistic with it. Like she just doesn't seem to care. And that's something I can certainly relate to as like being in that age when I was, you know, around that age and it's, you're kind of coming out of childhood and, and you're ready for adulthood. And, you know, it's kind of sad to see somebody else grow up, but when you're the one growing up, you think, well, that part of my life's over. I'm ready for the next phase. Yeah. So she didn't have that personal attachment that it felt like I had to, to her stuffed animal or her belongings, which was a very interesting thing to watch play out. And I'm with you because I mean, it, it, you know, it's funny, like a week or two ago, my mom actually sent me a text message with like an old stuffed animal. It was like a baby cookie monster I have. And I was super young and that was okay. my dude right there. And it's like, I don't think I could rip him apart. I don't think even 35 years old, I could rip that co baby cookie monster apart, even though I haven't seen it in like 20 years at this point now either. Yeah, and exactly. And you, same thing. Like you have, it kind of pulled me back to certain belongings I have. And I'm thinking, well, when I was 16, I probably didn't care about it, but I care about it in a way now that I certainly didn't appreciate when I was that age. And it just makes it even more curious because we do see throughout the film up into that point, like it, it's kind of like there's maybe not a, like a directed focus on on that, like the, the symbiotic relationship she might have with that. And, you know, it's representative maybe of her mother and, you know, that's why it's so important to her. But we see it throughout the film. And then it's just gone. And it really poses the question uh, because, we, you know, we're, we're getting close to the ending right here, but it poses really the question of, was that all for show as well too? Like, depending on your interpretation of the ending here, was her featuring that stuff plush throughout the film, really her building, building everything up to the end of the movie just for better clicks, better views, better engagement on that? Because of course there's the one hand, which is no, there was something nefarious actually going on in that point and that's what took care of ripping this this plushed animal apart or is it maybe this like this animal isn't actually something that she grew up with it's not actually something important it's just something that she's telling in this game basically to where everybody's shocked like we are when we see it happen and i don't know i don't know because it's so hard to work that out with this movie I think it's it's one of those moments that probably every time I watch it, I'm going to have a different opinion on it just based on how I'm feeling that day, which is yeah. so rare to find in, in any sort of piece of art where it can truly be subjective based on the attitude that you're coming into it with. I, you know, I was thinking about the question that you were asking earlier about kind of the perspective shift between Casey to JLB. And I think that an interesting element is almost between them, they satisfy two different areas of like trustworthiness for us as viewers, where uh, Casey is a, probably a more trustworthy human being, where, you know, if I were to meet the two of these characters on the street, I would say, okay, Casey is probably a little bit safer. I probably, you know, trust her a little bit more to be around just, just because she doesn't seem to have a lot of these nefarious actions at the beginning of the film that are, that are seated in her mind but she's not trustworthy as a narrator in the same way. And we can't really trust the information that she's giving us because we don't know if it's within the world of the game or within the world that we all live in. Whereas JLB is certainly not a trustworthy person in my mind. You know, if I saw this person in my daily life, I would avoid him at all costs. But as a narrator, he seems to be a little bit more trustworthy. And the information he's giving us seems to be 
a little bit more genuine and he understands the divide between the game and real life and understands the implications. So it's almost like both of them are equally as trustworthy in, in different arenas, but by virtue of that, neither of them are trustworthy. And as the viewers, we're kind of just caught in this limbo between the two. And that really brings us to the ending, honestly, because realistically, after we're caught in that limbo and, you know, shifting maybe to JLB as the narrator, because I agree with that. Like, I think that perspective really does change maybe to him. And how reliable is it? JLB confronts Casey about it and, you know, lets her know, like, hey, like, I'm very much worried about you. Like, something actually seems like it's wrong, and we should absolutely get out of the game so we can make sure that everything's good and talk. And that calls back to what you and I are both kind of coming at it from, because whether it's real or not, basically the, the, the way that kind of ends off there is that, you know, Casey kind of, like, kind of calls him out and says, like, look, like, this is just a fucking game. Like, this is just a game. This is just for a show. This is just for clicks. Like, you're an idiot. Like, this, is, this isn't real. Why would you think it's real in the least bit? I'm just really good at what I do. And hearing that, seeing that before we get to, you know, a year later and everything, it's like, yeah, I don't know. Because like you said, she's so unreliable. She is unreliable as a like as a narrator. And that's so great. That's what's so great about Casey as well, too, is that we buy so much of this that when this comes around at the ending to where she says, yeah, this is all BS. Like, none of this is real in the least bit. It's like, well, hang on, because this all seemed very, very much real. This all seemed absolutely like you were dealing with some shit. Like maybe, maybe the waking up in like the evil face, like sure. You, maybe you faked that out, but you talked a lot on camera about some real shit. And it doesn't seem like you would put that in there if it was just a game, but I don't know. Yeah. Don't and the, know. the emotional impact to all of it, because when we see her outside of the game, she seems fairly muted of emotion and doesn't seem all that excitable. Like she kind of drones along in, in her day to day, but then she comes to life in a different way. And, and we see these heightened emotions. And so it feels like we're getting closer to her as a character, but it's very easy for her to just step back and say, that's all a performance. You know, that none of that was how I actually feel, even though the the viscerality of it, just the human element of it makes us think there's no way you could possibly be telling the truth. Like there, there has to be at least a kernel of intention behind what you're doing. And it's terrifying because if this is what you're showing us, then what are you not showing us? Because you seem yep. to be masking a lot of your emotions and a, a lot of your uh, personality in your day to day. Uh, and it, it, another piece that it points to, I guess, is the uh the, the development of her but there's a really understated through line of all of this around the gender dysphoria and it doesn't really come out and hit you and say this is a movie about gender dysphoria but it's just a subtext that coasts along with the movie and informs a little bit more that this character is still trying to figure out exactly what she is in this world and this game that she's in seems to be where she's at her most comfortable but yeah. it also seems to be where she's at her most extreme and her most violent and, and her most um, impulsive. And the coda with that, and it adds even more, more confusion and more thought, like more thoughts on, 
what did like what are we actually thinking is real what's not there is that you know jlb mentions that a year after the events of the film that he was able to get in contact with casey again and claims that they met in person uh they you know they befriended each other they actually got a chance to meet up and everything and i guess she spent some time in a little bit of a facility and he's left wondering whether or not this was real or not and i i <laughs> I feel with all of that, like, again, we're not given confirmation if that's true. If JLB telling us this part of the story is just a part of his own game or his own imagination or whether that's even a part of real life as well. And I love the fact that we can't get that. Like, there, there's no way I feel to have that firm answer. And how you said that, you know, every time that you come in and watch, like, even like the tearing the plush apart scene, you have a different perspective for it. I, I love the fact that nothing about this ending and its coda gives us any actual 100% firm answer on whether these events actually transpired, whether or not she was making it up, whether she was really possessed or something like that, whether he is a good person or not, whether he actually met her in person. Like there's just so much left there to wonder about, you know? And yeah, yeah. where did you end up with it? Like today on, on Wednesday, September <laughs> 7th, where did you end up with the film at the ending of it? How did you, what did you think honestly was going down in this case yeah so i think this is what i've decided on it for now is because jlb delivers all of that information that you just said and we know that casey spent uh i think she was like six months or spent a considerable amount of time uh getting some mental health services and had moved on to college and at least from the information that we're receiving it feels like she's leading a fairly successful life and she's in a much better position in life from the last time we saw her and it's you know the first time that they actually met in real life and they saw each other face to face and they are in fact both real people because i'm fairly confident in saying this but i could be incorrect but i don't believe casey ever saw him on camera she only ever saw that ever so really interesting moment that we don't get to see and i think that's such an interesting creative choice that we don't get to see their first face-to-face -face interaction we just hear about it from jlb's perspective but after all of that um you know casey calls him a creep and calls him a pedophile and says that she never wants to talk to him again and cuts him off and then she sort of re-instigates this meeting and, and she agrees to meet with him face-to-face and then the the closing moment of the monologue is JLB saying that Casey told him she made it and she walked into the World's Fair and she saw the planetarium and she could feel it and she was right there. And again, going back to sort of the running pattern with some of the negative reviews, yes, it absolutely leaves you on the hook. It almost sets up this ending to the film and then it says, okay, we're right back in it. But what I take it as is I think that's Casey forgiving him and saying i understand like i've done some growing up i can look at this a little bit more objectively with the passing of time and you know i understand that this was a game and that you know i was probably acting rash throughout throughout this uh and you're probably not somebody i ever should have let into my life but you're here now you're in my life for better or for worse and so i'm going to 
you know, want to meet you face to face. And I, and I want to, you know, put a, a little bit more of a realistic approach to that, you know, as adults, but I can still look back on what happened in our relationship from years past and acknowledge that, you know, you were there for me in a way that other people weren't, even if it was for all of the wrong reasons. And it just, it leaves you in that space. It doesn't say, okay, we're back to safety. It doesn't say we beat the monster or it doesn't say she lost and the monster won. It just keeps you right in that space of not knowing. Yeah, because we don't know at that point, like, because you're right, her telling uh, telling JLB, at least the way the JLB would claim there, that she actually made it to the World's Fair. It's like, okay, that poses an interesting question. If she made it to the World's Fair, did JLB ever make it to the World's Fair? Because clearly he played the game as well, too, or is still playing the game. And he's the expert on it. Did he ever have a chance to make it to the World's Fair, too? Because I love the way you explain it that, you know, this is Casey maybe making amends for taking this game so seriously and doing some damage. Like she, she honestly did some, did some damage to, you know, to, to JLB and to herself and everything. But is this her way of making amends by saying, well, yeah, I made it. And, you know, giving him a little nugget to kind of like satisfy everything that he was looking out for. But I don't know. I, I don't know because sometimes I look back at it and my thought process, like hearing about it is that, well, Maybe it's just his retelling of it. In this case, Casey did end up in a mental you know, in a mental care facility, and he's just giving his epilogue to it now, saying that yeah, we met up and everything, but in reality, it's all still a part of the World's Fair game, and he's just ending the narrative that has now been transferred over to him because Casey got too deep into it and now is still in a mental health facility. And I don't know. That's where my my mind ended up being stuck at with it is that you know, Casey might still be in that mental health facility and that he's just basically finishing off her story because she was not available to finish it herself. But I don't know, because now you give me more to think about. That's a really good angle, actually. No, that could be. And it's tough because, like I said, I feel like JLB is positioned as not a trustworthy person, but a fairly trustworthy narrator. Yeah. And so... You know, I want to believe the words that he's saying in that closing monologue, but he also has his own interests and his his own motivations for potentially lying or or muddying the truth. So, you know, kind of that untrustworthiness of his character may be interfering with the trustworthiness of his storytelling and, and narration. Definitely. And folks... There, there's definitely some scares in this. This is not, um, there's been a lot of these this year to where it's not traditionally scary to where, you know, we're not relying on jump scares or anything like this. There's not really blood and gore or anything like that either going on. But, you know, Ben's, Ben's pointed out here, I think that a lot of what could be scary in this movie are the parallels to real life and seeing maybe yourself in Casey or, hopefully maybe not in JLB, but maybe you see yourself in Casey and or you see your kids. Or if you have children, maybe you see your children in Casey as well too. And I think that honestly adds way more fear, uh, way more scares to the movie itself because again, 
whether it's real or not, we're looking at somebody who's clearly in a lot of pain and just looking, looking for a way to really like express, looking for a way to push all of that out and kind of just be able to uh, like scream. And this is case. It's, it's almost like all this World's Fair stuff is Casey's scream, depending on what you believe the movie is really trying to tell you. And I think that in itself is absolutely terrifying if you can see yourself in these characters and make that parallel. But Ben, final thoughts on this on this movie. If you had anything else that you would say that you felt about this, that you took from it, what would that be? Yeah, I think really you you got to come into it with an open mind you know you got to come in and and be willing to roll with the punches with this film don't come in with any sort of preset expectations i would maybe go so far as to say avoid the trailers just don't even inform yourself um i mean granted if you made it to the end of this video you pretty much know everything that happens but what i love about it and i think what makes it stick out is it's a horror film that doesn't rely on the you know body count or it doesn't rely on jump scares even though there's a couple of them that do pop out and it justifies its position in the horror genre by the content of the story in my opinion and what i feel like horror is at the end of the day is any story that uses fear as the primary vehicle to tell the story and that's exactly what happens here and it's really um positioning itself to rely on the character the character development and the, the reliance on that fear to convey thoughts and feelings to the audience so if you're you know looking for something that's a little bit more elevated and cerebral and is going to leave you walking away with questions in your head and you know maybe isn't going to be quite as much fun as a as a slasher flick or a monster flick but is definitely going to leave you chewing at it for weeks on end then it offers that for you and, and i think that's great and i hope that we get more horror that fills that void in the future definitely i i absolutely would agree with that well ben i can't let you off the hook here we're all getting just mm -hmm. a little bit more spooky season fun so i gotta ask what are you most looking forward to you know we're early september right now we got we got a month and a half basically of spooky stuff to look forward to at least for the halloween season then we get to enjoy you know our holiday horror and everything but is there anything that you're really looking forward to over the next month and a half, whether it's a movie, a TV show, haunted houses, whatever? What are you most looking forward to doing this spooky season coming up, man? Yeah, yeah. Th there's a couple of movies that I've really had my eye on. Uh, I'm a huge fan of trauma. Trauma is, you know, in my opinion, one of the, one of the great tenets of horror in in the zeitgeist. And oh, there, man. Yeah, exactly. It's it's so good. You know, it's almost the opposite of this film where it's just so much fun. It, you know, it gives you everything you want. It doesn't apologize for it. And, you know, good, bad or ugly, it's it's there for you. Um, and I mean, there's a cerebral element to a lot of it all the time and it's riddled with satire, but uh, it's just it's good, clean fun. And there's a reboot to the Toxic Avenger that has been talked about for like it feels years, like years that we've been hearing about this. God. I know that Lloyd is producing it uh, like Lloyd. I happened to like be on a film a handful of months ago that, that Lloyd was producing. Lloyd hasn't even seen this toxic Avenger reboot yet. It's like shrouded in mystery. Peter Dinklage is going to be toxic, but supposedly that's still slated for 2022. There's not a release date attached to it. Should it come out this year? I'm going to say that's my, my number one film that I'm looking forward to in 2022. Um, but there was also, 
uh, festival in London a couple weeks ago. A good friend of mine, Liam, had his film Eating Miss Campbell premiere. And that's another trauma film. And uh, I, I'm looking forward to it. I backed it on Kickstarter, waiting on the physical copy of that to come in. And that's going to be at the top of my list as soon as it's in the mail. I love that you mentioned the Toxic Avenger as well, too, because, yes, <laughs> isn't Elijah Wood supposed to be the bad guy in that or something? I swear. Yeah, I think Elijah Elijah Wood. So it's written by the guy who said, um, I don't feel alive in this world anymore. Mm-hmm. Or, or uh, yeah, I believe it was a Netflix movie and Elijah Wood was in it. So he's in the film. I believe Kevin Bacon's in the film. I'm sure I'm he is. Something. Yeah, I could. Yeah. I was like, wait a minute. Am I thinking of like a, a figure of something older? Yes, he is. You are right. Oh, man. And what I'm really curious to see is if uh, Marissa Tomei is going to have like an uncredited cameo appearance because that was one of her first roles was the mm. original Toxic Avenger. So maybe they were able to sweet talk her into coming back for the reboot. We'll, we'll have to see. Man, I have uh, it's embedded in my mind, the original Toxic Avenger, because like I'm sure a lot of people did. I saw it when I was super, super young, late <laughs> night, maybe like one or two a.m. on a random channel. And. The only thing that sticks out in my mind is um, Toxie's like transformation, where I forget what the forget what the actual character's name is, but like Melvin. he's in the two yeah. Melvin, yeah, and he's getting bullied, he's getting teased, he's in the like the tutu and everything, and he gets tossed in like the is it a bathtub of toxic waste? Is that what it is now? I believe so. Yeah. Okay, because that scene that traumatized the shit out of me as a kid now, and. I want to say I saw it around the same time I saw Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. And Attack of the Killer Tomatoes is nowhere near as traumatizing as Toxic Avenger is. So I'm with, I would love to see that film hit this year, but we haven't heard anything like you said. So I'm hoping, hoping we get a Halloween surprise or something. That would be super, super nice now. Been a lot of mystery. So, well, we'll, I mean, I'm going to keep up with it. It's going to come out eventually. They can't keep tricking us. They got to put out the movie one of these days. So. Yeah, no, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I love a good superhero flick. We only got a handful of superheroes in the mo- or like in the horror genre. It's kind of like Spawn and Hellboy and Ghost Rider, and then Toxie's right there. So I, I think I think it's a retreat for sure. All righty, y'all. Well, that is gonna do it for us tonight. Ben, thank you so much again for coming back on the show to talk. We're all going to the World's Fair right now, folks. You can catch We're All Going to the World's Fair right now for free on HBO Max with your subscription. Otherwise, it is available to rent and to purchase on most popular streaming platforms, including Voodoo, Movies Anywhere, Google Play, all that good stuff there. So go and check it out. It's a fantastic film. It's still in my top five horror films of the year. But we've been talking some scary movies, y'all. See ya. Hey everybody, I appreciate you checking out this video, whether it was a review, whether it was a new episode, whether it was an unboxing, an interview, or whatever else. I want to remind you, you can check out my separate reviews also on my YouTube page, and new full episodes go up every Wednesday night on YouTube at 8.30 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, and on your favorite podcasting platforms at 8 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button, like, and share. My name is T. We've been talking scary movies. Stay scared.